And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, kal grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he's known as mild-mannered TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Everybody and welcome to episode 53 of Charlie's GeekCast. I am your host, Charlie Neymar, and today we are going back to 1983 to continue our look at the Brainiac story that began in Action Comics 544 and is continuing here in Action Comics 545. So I'm going to take a quick break, uh, play a promo or two, and I'll be right back with the issue. Charlie's GeekCast will return after these promos. Haunted House shut down this season? Then come to the house party that no force can stop. The House of Frankenstein. The Supermates are throwing their annual bash no matter what and inviting some of your favorite horror stars. Lon Chaney Jr. Anyone who enters here without my permission will be considered a trespasser. Lionel Atwell. By heaven, I think you're a worse fiend than your father. Christopher Lee. Don't use long words, Inspector. They don't suit you. Evil and Anchors. We haven't been able to contact Count Alucard so far. Peter Cushing. I told you before there are times when you shouldn't be alone. Bela Lugosi. He's mine. He don't belong to you. You go away. Barbara Shelley. There have been seven murders committed in the forest of Bandorf in the past five years. Basil Rathbone. But of course I know who did. Haven't you heard? The monster. <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. Maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? And Boris Karloff. <laughs> Plus a few party crashers. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No, it's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. And some amazing friends. Dragon time! Poor thing! Let them take care of your friends, my dear. <laughs> I'll take the robot, you take the wolf thing. Good. I've always had a way with animals. So RSVP to fireandwaterpodcast.com, iTunes, or Spotify, and don't miss the one Halloween party you can count on to be scary in a good way. Not the 2020 way. The House of Frankenstein. Did you miss me? Just here to tell you that Manscreen Podcast is returning soon with new episodes, weekly episodes. With Super Friends and the Christopher Reeve movies behind me, we head into the late 1980s with the Ruby Spear Super Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Intercut with episode of Superboy. That's right, Ruby's Bear Superman and the Adventures of Superboy coming soon to the Manscreen Podcast at www.com.
Action Comics number 545 was cover dated July 1983, had an on-sale date of April 28, 1983, and a cover price of 60 cents. The cover shows Brainiac apparently sitting inside his skull ship, judging by the metallic look of everything, watching on a view screen as Superman appears to be having trouble dealing with the ship's tentacles. Also on the cover, the caption state, The old Brainiac had the merest touch of humanity. The new Brainiac has eliminated that defect. The art is by Gil Kane, and it looks pretty solid. He has included quite a bit of detail on the ship, although I think he missed a line on the uh, footrest part of Brainiac's chair. That, or it's just, I don't know, it's weird looking. Then again, it's alien, so maybe it's supposed to look that way. The title of the story is With But a Single Step, written by Marv Wolfman with art by Gil Kane, lettering by Todd Klein, colored by Gene D'Angelo, and edited by Julie Schwartz. Now, unlike the last issue of Superman, where we got the full recap in about a page, the first six pages of this story are basically Brainiac explaining his rebirth to Superman and how he believes Superman to be an angel of death and he was sent by the Master. During all this, Superman is still powerless, and Brainiac begins running tests to scan Superman. Once the tests are complete and he no longer has any use for Superman, Brainiac begins killing the Man of Steel, but stops when the people of Sistus II start attacking again. The distraction allows Superman to escape, but Brainiac observes this and is able to split his concentration in order to use the ship to attack Superman. He's still new at this, however, and two missiles manage to actually hit the Skull Ship. Using his ship's weapons, he starts attacking the planet itself, basically turning it into a lifeless, burnt-out husk. Meanwhile, Superman has made it to what he says is the front door, but it ain't gonna open. Inside the ship's hull, Brainiac speaks to a small group of survivors, whom he has recruited to be his warriors. While that's going on, Superman manages to trick some of Brainiac's weapons to fire at him, but he ducks out of the way so the blasts hit the door. Able to get out now, Superman finds Brainiac's shuttle ship and uses it to escape. Giving chase, Brainiac quickly catches up, but Superman enters a meteor shower, hoping to slow him down. Unfortunately, while Superman has to avoid the meteors, Brainiac uses his shield to allow him to just fly through the shell. But, before Brainiac can catch him, Superman makes a wrong turn and crashes into a meteor. Fortunately, Superman's powers have picked just this moment to return, allowing him to survive the explosion. Now he goes onto the offensive, but Brainiac attacks with his ship's tentacles. When this doesn't work, he fires off another Red Sun torpedo, despite it looking very different from the ones used last issue. Superman attempts, to, Superman attempts to avoid it, but it follows his every move, like a heat seeker. And while he hasn't, it hasn't, and while it hasn't touched him yet, the radiation still manages to start weakening Superman. In a last desperate attempt to save himself, Superman flies into a nearby yellow sun. While the heat is unbearable and he's running out of breath, Superman manages to survive long enough for the heat of the sun to vaporize the torpedo. However, once he emerges from the sun, he finds that Brainiac is gone, and not even his telescopic vision can find him. With no other options, Superman returns to Earth. Meanwhile, at the Grand Canyon, Rip Hunter, Time Master, is visited by Cave Carson and Dave Durant of the Sea Devils. Apparently, only the forgotten heroes can save the world, and this is just the beginning of their reunion. Elsewhere, on a planet in the Betelgeuse system, Betelgeuse? Betelgeuse? Sometimes I think they just do this just to make words that you can't say. Anyway, Brainiac once again has destroyed a world and has taken a small group of its survivors to be his warriors as well. 
and he plans to use all his soldiers to help destroy Superman. Alright, first off, before I even get into my notes, this was a pretty quick issue. Uh, definitely taking on the action title very well. It's a lot of action, a lot of attacking, a lot of dodging blasts, that kind of stuff. Uh, so it, it's kind of hard to just sit there and tell you what everything that happened. Definitely not as uh, meaty as the Superman issue. Alright, on page one, this time the new Superman logo appears again, despite not being on the cover. Pages 1 through 6, like I said before, this has to be the longest recap ever. He could have just had Superman read Action 544. It probably would have been quicker. Page 9, another example of the evil of this new Brainiac. He just destroys this planet without a care. We're not doing the Bottle Cities anymore. That's definitely obvious here. Moving up to page 14, Superman is very stressed here. He isn't used to having to fly a ship anyway, and trying to maneuver it through meteors is not a picnic. He's actually sweating here, which you don't see too much on Superman. Pages 16 and 17, the red sun torpedo looks basically like a ball of red, maybe more magenta light here, while in last issue, they looked like regular torpedoes. Maybe it was something he hid in the torpedoes, but it's not really explained why there's such a change, and Gil Kane drew both stories. Also, Superman shows he really has some cojones here. Despite his powers weakening and possibly dying, he still plunges into the sun for a last desperate attempt to save himself. I mean, granted, if he didn't, um, you know, he'd die in space. He was already feeling the cold. He was running out of air. Uh, so either way, I guess he'd rather have his own decision on the dying than just slowly dying in space. I don't know. Anyway, page 20. It's nice to see Justin show up in an action issue. That's pretty cool. Page 21, we have an interesting setup for a future story. I want to say this happens next issue, but I'm not 100% sure. I just wish we had some kind of indication of who these other people are with Rip. Before Cave Carson and Dave Durant show up, uh, Rip is with two other people, a woman and a man. No names are given. No information is given on the, in the caption. The, the woman had white hair, so I thought that was Dolphin. But then it said that Dolphin hasn't shown up yet, so I'm still not sure. Moving into page 22, has Brainiac created an army before? I, I don't think he has. I think he's been basically a solo guy. So things are really starting to amp up right at this point. Overall, I thought this was a good issue. I mean, it was a quick read, yes. But we literally pick up right from the end of last issue and continue the story. The new Brainiac is a very different foe, and Superman realizes this very quickly. The art looks money and rushed again, though, and... Gil Kane's Clark looks extra nerdy with these huge glasses. Having said that, his panel layout is great. He manages to pack a lot of stuff into this issue, despite one or two instances of needing the writing to clarify what the art is supposed to be depicting. Uh, Superman fighting off Brainiac's machines inside the skull ship. The panels are pretty small, giving you a more claustrophobic feel, which is kind of cool. The last page of Brainiac talking to his soldiers is also really cool. He gives pretty good detail to just about all of them, and they all look very alien. But that's about it for this issue. Uh, playing us out this time is the new number one for the week. Yes, Billy Jean has been dethroned and has been replaced by Beat It, also by Michael Jackson. No wonder they called him the Prince of Pop. All right, I'll be right back. Uh, but this time, since 
I don't have any feedback because I'm recording a little early. I'm going to take a look at Dick Giordano's Meanwhile Call. I'll be right back. Charlie's GeekCast will return after these promos. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on a mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it, and now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Make Ours Marvel. Podcast Network is a collection of super friends plus shag. So what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends? It's for all mankind, a super friends podcast, a read through show about the classic DC comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run. Plus a few surprises hosted by me, Rob Kelly and a rotating group of my super friends coming soon from the fire and water podcast network. It all looks good to me. We now return to Charlie's GeekCast. Okay, our meanwhile column for this issue uh, is basically a journal of Dick Giordano's day on January 28th, I'm guessing 1983. Starts at 4 a.m. where he wakes up to an alarm clock playing rock music. Apparently it's okay, but it's, it's uh, rock music's okay, but it's not good to wake up to. 4.20 a.m. with a cup of coffee with some sweet loo and a little cream. Uh, He sits down, turns on Nightline, and starts inking page 6 of the Teen Titans drug special. By 6.15, he finally finishes all the figures. Apparently, Bill Collins is going to help him by inking all the backgrounds. The deadline is too tight for a part-timer like him to do the whole thing. By 7.05, he is showered, shampooed, shaved, and as shiny as he can be, he jumps in his 78 Monte Carlo and drives to the railroad station to catch the 728 train to New York. 
But first, he stops by Dunkin' Donuts for another coffee. By 7.28, he makes it to his train. After finishing his coffee and looking at all the pretty girls on the train, he digs into the bulging portfolio he carries with him for some paper and starts to write this column. Of course, I can't fi- he can't finish writing it until later, obviously. But, you know, he can write the first part. 9.15 a.m. He's in New York, but he's late. They arrive at Grand Central Station about 15 minutes late, and he has to hustle to the office to make a 9.30 meeting in Paul Levitt's office. But by 9.29, he's in his office. Just has time to finish his mid-morning cup of coffee before running down the hall to Paul's office. No meeting can start without his mid-morning cup of coffee. 9.32 a.m. He's in Paul's office with Roger Sliffer, an editor. Bruce Bristow, the marketing director, and Paul, VP of operations. Oh, they're all there, but they can't fool him. Dick. They've probably been there all night to make sure that they get there before him to make him feel guilty for being late. Anyway, they discuss a new reprint line. Uh, since it's currently being restricted to two monthly digest size titles. 96 page each and some pretty good stuff, but the small size makes the good stories less impressive. And it's clear the off-size isn't terribly popular with retailers. Tell that to all the people that love the Digest these days. Anyway, the first thing they decide is that if we produce a few Digest reprints a year, most of our most of the future reprints will be conventionally sized, with at least some of it having good production values, offset printing on Baxter stock. They decide that details will be firmed up at a later meeting, He mentions that the new reprint rates will make the artists and writers very happy. They've increased them over 400%. Very happy indeed. At 10.30 a.m. back in his office, he has his last honest cup of coffee for the day, sits down and writes down some more of his meanwhile column. And the following takes place, though not necessarily in this order. Julie Schwartz pops in with the news that Superman and Supergirl will be a bit late this month. No sweat. Bob LaRose, the production guy, has a problem with the cover, and they solve it. Karen Berger insists that they're going to ship an entire week of comics late if he doesn't start hounding some of the people. She has to tell him that. She's the editorial coordinator. Pat Bastine worries that the freelancer checks won't be down from payroll till late in the afternoon, and the artists and writers who come in to pick them up will have to wait. Roy Thomas calls from L.A., He's up early. It's only 8.30 there at this time. He wants to know if the title for his new project has cleared copyright search. It hasn't. How can we promote it if it doesn't have a title? Gee, he doesn't. I don't know, Roy. Uh, Also, Lynn Ween reminds him that they've got an afternoon meeting at about 3 o'clock. Okay. 12.05 p.m. It's lunchtime. Generally, this is also business time. When he goes to lunch with one or more of the the writers and or and or artists and discuss comics but not today today he goes with a few people from the office and managed to stare at wall a lot while eating and recharging his batteries 115 back at the office there's a note on my desk that advises him that his meanwhile column is desperately late warning if it's not to the typesetter by monday we print a blank page 135 don mcgregor brings in the rewrite for nathaniel dusk number one he originally wrote it as a complete script, but Gene Cullen felt constricted and made some changes to open it up a bit. This required that Don do a partial rewrite to bridge the gaps left by Gene's changes. The final result of the two working off each other is near perfect. 
Apparently. I haven't read Nathaniel Dust number one. 207, still in his office. Before he can digest the Dusk rewrite, Ernie Cullen and Roger Slifer, Slifer plop themselves across from him and proceed to outline a year's worth of material scheduled for new talent showcase. They're the editors of that worthwhile project, and that provides a a showcase for new talent. Hence the title. Their lineup looks great, and after making some suggestions for getting the operation to run more smoothly, they all agree to meet again in a week or two to set a firm schedule for the book's premiere appearance. 248, still in his office, just time for a few phone calls before the 3 o'clock meeting. Nuts and bolts kind of stuff, like, When's Omega Man 4 going to come in, Mike? And don't laugh, Frank. I really need the art for the Ronin poster by the 17th. And what do you mean you haven't been paid for the Green Lantern art? I put your bill through two weeks ago. That kind of thing. 3 o'clock. Doug Minch, George Perez, Len Wein, and Marv Wolfman troop in and take over his office. We're going to talk about Robin 1 and Robin 2, he's informed. Well, first of all, we'll never call him those names. Good idea. Secondly... He can't tell you any. He can't tell you any more. But the meeting lasted until five nineteen, so about two hours and twenty minutes, and that's the time he has to leave the office to make it to the five forty two train to Stratford. He reads sort of the Adam Part Three on the train, discusses some of the day's events with staffer Pat Bastine, who often shares the commute, and he falls asleep. Seven seventeen in Stratford, just nineteen, just nine minutes late. Seven thirty, he's home again. And then time for dinner, a bit of TV, and falling asleep wherever he is by 10 p.m. Unless he's doing something he likes. And that's what you get when you ask, just what does an executive editor or managing editor or editor-in-chief do? And so he thought he'd thank, say thank you and good afternoon, Dick. So that's basically a day in the life of Dick Giordano. Did we learn anything new here? Well, we learned Nathaniel Dusk 1 is coming, and is pretty good. The New Talent Showcase is another new title, coming soon. They're going to be making some changes to their reprint line. Uh, They're going to be doing some talks about a new Robin. I wonder if Jason Todd has not debuted yet. Hmm. I'm not up on my timetable on the Batman line. I really don't even know what happens in Batman books at this point. really should read those. So that's that's some pretty cool stuff. I like it. Anyway, Dick Giordano does these meanwhile columns, a bunch of them. And they go into like all the every issue of DC Comics coming out around this period. And this goes well into the post-crisis time. So there's stuff in there where they he announces looking at, you know, the Dark Knight Returns stuff from Frank Miller before it's even called Dark Knight Returns. There's stuff where he talks about Crisis before it's actually called Crisis. So it's really cool. Anyway, so that's it for this time. I'm, gonna, um, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to finish the episode. So I hope you all have a wonderful week or two. And hopefully I will be back in just a couple of weeks with another episode of Charlie's Cast. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Charlie's GeekCast. Feedback for the show can be sent to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com or you can feel free to leave a comment at the show's posting at charliesgeekcast.com. All images and music heard on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. 
Charlie's Geekcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by Two True Freaks to check out more great shows. Thank you again for listening, and good night.